On today's interview, we have Carol Pepper from Pepper International. Carol is a trusted advisor to wealthy families around the world. She's actually the world's leading expert on setting up family offices and acts as an external chief investment officer for select group of single and international family offices. She has over 25 years of experience in the wealth management industry. She was a private banker for JP Morgan Private Bank, Citibank Private Bank, Credit Suisse Private Bank, and she's managed over $1 billion of private client assets as a senior relationship manager and portfolio manager at the Rockefeller & Company, a multifamily office formed by the Rockefeller family. And she was also a principal of Morgan Stanley. She's also a great friend to me. Hi, Carol. How are you? Hi, Janae. I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me on your talk. I'm very excited to be here. I love reading your bio because I was just going through a list of like, it's like, man, this woman is just on in every possible way. You're definitely doing amazing things and you're an amazing woman leader. I'm so honored to know you. And thank you for coming on and talking to us on a Holy Living Research podcast that is here to empower women leaders globally. I just want you to share with us a little bit more about what you do and what a family office is. Thank you. Certainly. Well, a family office is a private investment organization that takes care of all the wealth management needs of a family. So we're talking about tax planning, investing money, but also transitioning your business to the next generation, making sure you're domiciled in the right place, taking care of your family's security, taking care of estate planning, forming family governance. In other words, anything that relates to growing and nurturing the family over multiple generations is falls under the responsibility of a family office. Now, oftentimes entrepreneurs start a company and some of those functions as the business grows are, are performed by, let's say, holding company executives or the CFO. But over time, as things get bigger, the family really starts to need experts who can help them, who are really just focused on family issues and personal issues as opposed to the corporate needs. But putting on the hat as the shareholder for the families. And so this is why people start setting up family offices. I have been setting up family offices since 2001, over the last 18 years all over the globe. And I absolutely love doing it because no two families are alike. And so each family has its own challenges and issues and personal concerns, but all of them have a common goal, which is to see their families prosper for 10 generations or more. So it's very exciting to work with families who have this really positive and uplifting goal for themselves and how they relate to society and how they want their children to and great-grandchildren to think about them in the future. Thank you for sharing all that information. I, I know that on Google, it states that, that you have to have 100 million liquid in order to start a family office. Is that true? Well, it used to be true because I would say before the internet existed, in order to have a family office, typically people had a large building and they had a ton of internal staff. But today, with the use of technology and a lot of outsourced experts, there are people that have you know, a net worth of $20 million, maybe only $5 million is liquid to start, who are already setting up their family offices. And the reason that they're doing that is because they want to be thinking long-term and making multi-generational decisions. And a lot of the issues around the family office are not just managing the money, but it's really managing the family and making the right decisions that allow you to keep growing. We call these types of family offices today 
shorthand, virtual family offices or VFOs. They do everything that a single family office does, but you use a lot of outsourced experts and a lot of technology and it's much less expensive to run. So it becomes economical for a family that says has, say, a net worth of $25 or $50 million, including illiquid assets like companies and real estate and maybe some liquidity to get started in down the path of family office. One of the reasons people want to have a single family or virtual family office is because then they go into a category of like-minded individuals who... And there are a lot of private meetings where there are investments and companies and private investments that are available and shared only among family offices. So it's not so much the size of your family office, but the mentality and outlook that you have. And other families are looking to invest with other family offices, if you will. And so that's one of the reasons people start forming them at an even earlier stage than they used to prior to 2000 or 2001. How did you get started in this business? Obviously, we've talked about, I, I, in the introduction, I talked about a little bit of your background and obviously mm-hmm. the private banking. What was a turning point for you that said, hey, I'm going to start a company that is geared towards helping people set up a family office? You know, I was a private banker for many years at some of the top private banks in the United States and internationally. And I really had a phenomenal amount of training and actually worked for family offices as their outside banker. But, you know, I started in 1987. I started in 1984 actually doing M&A at Solomon Brothers. And then in 1987, I started in the private banking field, but taking care of the families that had a lot of large corporate needs. So it was always sort of a combination of corporate finance and private wealth. And, And back in those days, there really wasn't private banking like we think about today. As the years went on toward the sort of mid 90s, It moved from being an advisory job much more towards being a sales job where the private banker was expected to sell a lot of products. You know, in the early days, we were really taking care of families like family offices do today. And then as time went on, it became much more of a sales job, frankly. And and we started to summit. And so I got a call from a headhunter to go join the Rockefeller family office as a portfolio manager. And I I left at that opportunity. And when I worked there, I got to see one of the premier family offices in the world, how they organize themselves and their families still going strong after eight generations. And I learned a tremendous amount working with them. And then when the internet really started to hit around 2000, 2001, I realized it was going to completely change how families or or wealth was managed. Because prior to that, everything was very manual. As I said, you had to have all these in-house employees. Once we had the internet and we could do things remotely and get groups of people around the world together, I realized that we could actually create an even better family office by doing it virtually, by picking the right lawyer for a particular situation and having an outsourced team that could collaborate on a particular project and then change the team as the needs changed. Because most families are involved in multiple businesses and they have a lot of different types of experts that they need, but they don't need them full-time. They need to kind of have a, a quarterback and then a lot of team members who come in and out of the family, if you will. Now, that was very, very unusual in 2001. But I saw this opportunity and I decided that at that point, I was 38 years old and I thought, well, if I don't leave now, and I'd always had an entrepreneurial streak or, or desire, that well, if I don't jump now, I'll never do it. And so I decided to start my company. And I've never looked back. I've had my company now for 18 years. It's hard to imagine, but I love it. And it's only gotten more exciting. And the field has grown tremendously over the last 18 years. 
Amazing. So when should a woman entrepreneur start looking or start considering an FO? Because I know even in my own storyline, most people still don't even know what a, a single family office is or what it is. And I'm hoping the listeners gather that today from our conversation. But as you're building a business, no one knows at what point you should really start. So you've talked about some of the, the bare bone basics, but where do you start even looking? Because I think I, I was referred to you from somebody that we know mutually. A lot of people wouldn't even know where to start to acquire someone like yourself. Yeah, well, I actually started a second business this year to help answer that question. There's really not a lot of good education out there about a family office and when I should start it and what I should what I should do. Often what happens is people have a liquidity experience. They they sell a company and they suddenly have all this money and they've never had money before and they and they think, oh my God, and somebody mentions the word family office and suddenly they're you know, attending conferences. But frankly, a lot of the conferences are just focused on investment products and that doesn't really help them with setting up the family office. So I actually created something called the Family Office Bootcamp, familyofficebootcamp.com, where people can get purchase online courses to start to learn the basics. Now, in terms of when should you start thinking about it, I think the earlier, the better. And I'll tell you why. Because family office is a mindset. And we want to be raising our vibration and our mindset, even as we're starting our business and we're in it maybe four or five years, and it's really getting going, to think about where do we want to be five years from now and 10 years from now, having that long-term focus. So it's bringing in the experts. For example, if you have a company that you think you might want to take public, that's you really want to be moving the stock of that company into trust for your children or grandchildren well before you take it public at a lower valuation for tax purposes. Or depending on the country that you live in, you might want to domicile in a different country from where your tax residence is. And there are new laws coming in every year, for example, common reporting standard, which deal with how you're they're going to start potentially taxing your offshore assets if you're you know, a non-US person. Um, so there are a lot of factors that go into even a very early stage planning of, let's say, taking your company public or, you know, it's starting to grow and, you know, putting that burden on your CFO to handle all that stuff for you or, you know, just being sort of a retail banking client isn't really going to cut it. So I say if you have five or $10 million and you're starting to get going, start thinking about it. There's a lot of pieces you can do that don't cost a lot of money. For example, you can set up a, a family vision, a family mission, a family constitution that doesn't cost any money at any point in time. And then as you get more and more money, you add more and more of the pieces that you require to build out what you need as you grow. But you can certainly always start with your vision for your family, your values of your family, and you know putting together how you want things to look at a, at a very early stage. Well, I'm glad that you established that because I know one of the most eye-opening things that I experienced is when starting to do parts of my estate planning and the lawyer said to me that legacy is actually legal and heritage is the part that is integrated into there that operates under the family office as a governance piece where you start mapping out what your family's legacy looks like. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So then also talked about like energy and money and raising vibration. What should your personal professional network look like at that point? So once you are starting to enter into the family office space, how do you keep some of the relationships that you've gathered along the way, but then entering into this new space of being around peers or people that are in in the same place in life as yourself? 
Yes. Well, I think, you know, it's people need to remember that money is really just a form of energy. And in a way, the more money you have, you know, when you have very, very little money, if you're very poor, for example, you have to be completely focused on your survival requirements. You know, and this goes to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And as you gain more and more money, so your survival needs are taken care of. Now your family needs, maybe your retirement needs are taken care of. And now you start to have even more money. You're actually holding larger and larger amounts of potential energy, which is this money that you could spend on almost anything. So you want to think about, if possible, looking at the 10 closest people to you and evaluate them honestly to yourself. Are they at my level of energy? And I don't mean just wealth, but their mindset. Are they positive? Are they looking for the future? Are they growth oriented? Are they risk takers? Do they vibrate, if you will, with you? Do you feel comfortable around them? Or are they naysayers? Are they jealous of you? Are they pulling you down? Are they constantly poo-pooing your new ideas? You want to jettison those people because let's face it, most very successful people work extremely hard. They may have had friends early on in their career or in their life who aren't as successful as they are. And sometimes those friends can be great cheerleaders, but sometimes they become jealous and negative. And, And you really need to you know, kind of spend less and less time with them. The same thing with family members. If you have very, very negative family members who are jealous of you, who are not in your team and not a cheerleader, try to minimize the time that you spend with them and surround yourself with the most positive, upbeat people who are where you are or who are ahead of you. So you can see down the path and say, well, you know, gosh, imagine if I tripled my business or quadrupled my business, or I suddenly had $100 million or $500 million, what would my life look like? And be around people who are comfortable having that conversation with you. I think on the professional side too, you have to look at your staff and your company. You know, there are some people who like to grow and are willing to take risks and move forward and are super positive and can roll with the punches. You want those people on your team. If you have naysayers or negative people or people who are trying to take advantage of you or just use your name for their own gain, you got to get rid of them. I always say to people, never, ever have somebody on your professional team, especially among your senior managers, who is not supportive of you. Period. End of story. The minute you find out that he or she is backstabbing you, talking badly, out the door they go. Because that is only going to destroy you and, and zap your energy and lower your vibration. That's much lower vibration than you do. Surround yourself with people, both personally and professionally. That's really, really critical. And then you can hold more and more energy because your energy is not being sapped by all this little, you know, piddly stuff that doesn't really serve you and moving forward. In fact, takes your attention away from what you're trying to create. Yeah. One of the pieces that I found eye-opening was about the privacy and security due Mm -hmm. to the financial growth. What does that look like in the family office? Because I think the one part people don't realize that the family office, meanwhile, operates as a financial corporate structure. It still has a lot of governance pieces for the family that are kind of intertwined. So share with us, what does that look like and how does one set that up? Surely. Privacy and security to me are actually number one and number two. Because privacy, the more private you can be, the more secure you're going to be. If you think about it, there are many, you know, with the internet, that it's a blessing and a curse. You know, people can, your kid tweets where you're on vacation and somebody breaks into your home. You know, you suddenly need staff because you have six or seven homes around the world. 
those staff members, if they aren't properly vetted, could kidnap your children or try to, you know, kidnap you or steal the belongings in your house. So it's a blessing and a curse to have more and more financial means. You know, there are firms that specialize in working with wealthy families. And so I can name two names that I feel very comfortable with and I work with. I do not get paid by them to make this endorsement, just to make that clear. But one is Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. That is the largest security firm in the world. It's used by the US government and many other governments. So they really know what they're doing. And they will assess your personal security, your traveling security, the cybersecurity of all internet devices, both in your corporation and your home. Your profile online, they will deal with things like if you suddenly get a stalker or there's suddenly people after you become because you're becoming more public or let's say you give a, a charitable gift in your name and your name is suddenly out there. Suddenly, you know, you're, what you're trying to do well can become a curse and somebody can come after you because they now know you're wealthy. And so they help you develop a very detailed plan and you have a team to call. The second name I would name would be K2 Securities, K2 Intelligence rather. It's actually the second firm that the founder Julius Kroll set up after he sold Kroll. And so he and his family still work in that firm. It's slightly smaller, but they're very focused again on personal security. I would not advise going with, you know, the retired cop in your neighborhood who thinks he can set up your security because there are very sophisticated people who will try to hack your firewalls, kidnap your children, <laughs> I mean, stalk you. There's just, you know, it's, it's a downside. And it happens to many, many, many families. And I personally dealt with these things over the years. So there's not, no shame in it. But if you're, if you're a high profile person, you may not know where to call or what to do. Or for example, you're taking the family on a trip to a safari in Africa or going to Machu Picchu, you, you need to get kidnap and ransom insurance. You know, these are things people don't even know exist so that if something happens to you, you've already paid to have a team in place to come and get you or negotiate with your kidnappers. You know, or your kid is going on a, let's say, a church trip to do charity work in a poor area. You have to have a security protocol for your child set up because somebody will find out who he or she is and go after them. You know, it's, it's a very high percentage chance. So there's lots of important reasons why you want to protect your privacy and you want to, or if you are high profile, you want to still have a very strong security team in place. I mean, we can all learn from what happened to poor Kim Kardashian. You know, she was flaunting her huge diamond all over Instagram. And then she sent the security guards out with her sister and was alone in that hotel in Paris. And she had a terrifying experience and lost her ring. So that's a perfect example of what not to do. She flaunted it. And then she didn't have the proper security in place to protect herself from being attacked. And it happened in you know a very nice hotel. So there you are. I definitely... There's things now that I look back on that I'm making mistakes as well. And so that leads to my next question. Is this why the FO network is a private society? Yes, I think it's very much word of mouth. People tend to, you know, there are conferences you can attend. As I mentioned, I have family office boot camps, so you can start taking courses online to dip your toe in the water. You can Google the word family office, and most of the conferences will pop up for you. And then, you know, there are very private conferences that are being created where people can meet like minded people. So, for example, myself and two other women are creating a wonderful, soon to be launched conference called Explore, Empower, and Enlighten just for women who want to come together in a very private setting to 
talk about what they what they need to assess where they are and to move forward. Because the problems that you have when you have fifty or hundred million dollars or you know a company that's about to go public are very different from perhaps the problems that your friend from high school had. And so you need to get an, another network of people to help you. But I will say that in general, the family office network around the world is a relatively small network. They estimate that there's about 10,000 family offices around the world. And I would say, you know, we're all within one or two phone calls of each other. And there's a, a deep amount of trust in that network. And so it, that's why people tend to come in by a referral or word of mouth or things like that, because it's, you know, it's, People's privacy is so important, um, but it's a wonderful network and people help each other quite a bit. And because they're all wealthy, they're not trying to make money off of each other. They're just helping each other. So it's a good thing. Well, excellent. And Carol, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this information. Is there anything else that you'd like to add and share with our listeners? I just would say that women, it's time for us to step into our power and that wealthy women have an amazing opportunity to influence this planet. You know, women are leading the charge to social impact investing, to creating foundations and doing charity work, to thinking multiple generations for their family. And so, you know, stepping into your power and not being afraid to wield the power of your wealth is really critical for yourself, your family, and the planet. And in One last thing I will mention is that I did write a book with Camilla Webster called The Seven Pearls of Financial Wisdom, A Woman's Guide to Enjoying Wealth and Power. And we deliberately named it Enjoying Wealth and Power because this should not be a burden. This should be enjoyment. This should be exciting. And this should be opening up grand vistas. And I can't wait to see what all of these wonderful listeners create as they expand their power and step out into the world confident in their wealth. Amazing. Thank you so much, Carol, for being on today. Thank you, Janae. I really appreciate it and great love to you.